The Gist is sponsored by The Great Courses, offering engaging audio and video lectures taught by top professors. Courses like The Skeptic's Guide to American History. Right now, get up to 80% off the original price when you visit thegreatcourses.com slash gist. It's Friday, April 17th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. President Obama today in a press conference discussed a stalled agenda item, the attorney general. Can we get a new one, please? And you thought your HR department was out of touch. Imagine if Senate Republicans had to approve your vacation. Disney Cruise waits for no man, Senator Corker. Anyway, Obama let the Republicans have it. What are we doing here? Uh, and, and, and I have to say that there are times where uh, the dysfunction in the Senate just goes too far. This is an example of it. Go, it's gone too far. Enough. Enough. But then, at the end of all that, he adds this. Call Loretta Lynch for a vote. Get her confirmed. Put her in place. Let her do her job. This is embarrassing. A process like this. Now, this isn't the first time the president told Republicans they were embarrassing themselves. Here he's talking to Vice magazine last month, talking about the Republican senators led by Tom Cotton, who wrote a letter opposing Iranian negotiations. I'm embarrassed for them. Yeah. Because it's not how America does business. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sure the Republican reaction is, you know what? How about you let us tell you when we are or aren't embarrassed for ourselves. Thank you very much. And I'm sure the Democratic reaction to that is, yeah, we'll be waiting. But you should be embarrassed, that phrase. You know, you should be embarrassed. It's a little hectoring. It's a little patronizing. It's sort of the supercilious city cousin to, I'm very disappointed in my congressional colleagues on the other side of the aisle, that sort of thing. This goes both ways too, right? The I'm embarrassed for you, you're supposed to be embarrassed, right? Liberals saying, wait, you're supposed to be a conservative? You're not very conservative. A real conservative would conserve water or conserve resources or conserve shame. And the conservatives will say, well, you're supposed to be liberal, but you're pretty close-minded when it comes to my delicious discriminatory pizza parlor. You should be embarrassed. So I'll tell you what, let's stop telling the other side if they should or shouldn't be embarrassed. I know it sounds high-minded, but it's like you're trying to save the opposition from themselves. And you know what? Let them hang themselves. Who cares? Just go with shameful. Tell them what they're doing is shameful. It's much better in politics to jab the finger than just shake the head. In the spiel, it's Vladdy and the Grizz taking your calls. But first, we go back to the past, a time simpler than our own, a time before fancy TV graphics could recreate the gunfight at the OK Corral. So Brian Unger is here. I just had the urge to, I don't know, get a Quicken loan or buy a BMW. But no, here is the real real urge. I want to travel back into time because Brian, who you know you might recognize his voice. You definitely know his face. He's a comic actor and original Daily Show correspondent. uh, Had a number of guest spots on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. I do not have time for you. Yeah, so we both have busy schedules. So I'll make this quick. I shan't mince words with you for long. I am challenging you, sir, to a duel. I accept. 
But he's also a guy who has done a lot of news in his time, and we worked together on an NPR show called Day to Day. And now with the Travel Channel, he has a show all about time traveling. It debuts on Monday at 10. Brian is here. Hello, Brian. Hey, Mike. If you need refinancing, I can help you with that. <laughs> well, yeah. BMWs are expensive. <laughs> you got to drink a lot of Maxwell House coffee and Yoohoo to uh, afford that See, stuff. Did I, 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 I have I left anything off? I can help you with your entire <laughs> life. I can, I can make over your entire life. Americans are always finding ways to be more responsible. And so is BMW. It's called efficient... I never understood if these sponsors thought that you were, you know, you're you're a good-looking guy with a deep voice, so you could read as just like a straight pitchman, but you're also a comedian. I sometimes don't think if they knew if you were a pitchman or a comment on the pitchman. Uh, I don't think they knew either, <laughs> and I don't think I knew either while I was doing it. So, you know, I mean, everyone wants something that is like a touch of irony, a little, they call it the wink. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah. Whatever Bob you're Costas doing, did it well. Yeah, yes. you, you're, you're winking at us. You're kind of letting us know that you're not that serious about it and I wasn't I was never really that serious about this stuff I was just kind of like okay this seems like a nice three-day vacation right right it's like you who okay if you pay me yeah yeah okay now this travel channel show essentially you're the tour guide so there are a few elements there are five people a nice multi-ethnic uh, cast wearing bright colored shirts without any logos you're very observant <laughs> they go to different locations that sometimes we know it's a famous location like the Lincoln Memorial and sometimes it's an empty spot in the Nevada desert and you pretty much tell them what used to be there. You're the tour guide. Yeah, I mean, it all comes from a conceit of, hey, what was here before? Las Vegas, Nevada has always been the place for a quickie marriage. But there was also a time when it was the mecca for the hurry-up divorce. I'm Brian Unger, and I'm taking... What was once a Starbucks was probably could have been where Bonnie and Clyde uh, planned all of their bank heists. What opens the door to all that history for us are these old photographs. We're going back to the archives and digging up all these photos, and we're holding them up to the contemporary street image, and we're blending them seamlessly with computer graphics. So there are a lot of bells and whistles on the show that enable us to kind of basically do a history lesson. So on this spot, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech in August 28th of 1963 to a sea of people as far as the eye can see. I have a dream. This nation will... Why don't we all, here, you step up first. Just describe what you're feeling. I feel um, just blessed that I can stand here and that he um, was willing to fight for freedom and for equality. The girl who cried when she was standing on the spot of the I, give, I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, really moving. Yeah. That's happened several times, and it's something unplanned. I never expected tears to flow when we're sort of, um, that moment arrives. But there was another time we were we were at um, in Savannah, Georgia, and we're in this the house on the square there um, where William Tecumseh Sherman, his desk is still there and his chair is there. And they give us this unprecedented access most of the time. They allow us to go into the room. They take the velvet rope back, and we get to sit in the chair and touch the desk. And uh, an African-American woman was, was walking around the office where Sherman sat, and uh, she burst into tears, um, and we all stopped, and this moment was playing. And she said, uh, 
I just realized that someone had to clean this desk and they looked just like me. And what he did do, as controversial as the guy was, he did liberate slaves in every town that he went to along the way. And while the South sees Sherman as still a very destructive man, it set up that complicated part of history, which is, are these people virtuous? Are they heroes or are they destroyers? Are they? It, it, it starts, you know, that conversation, as cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to do that at Travel Channel was like a great opportunity. I was like, great, I'll do that here. This is awesome. I'm going to guess that as this went along, the producer said, you know what, Brian, the voiceover is good, but let's use that as a backstop. You're better in the moment. Let's try to get as much narration as we can from you there in the moment, your interaction with the guests. Is that what happened? How did you know this? Are you out there with me? I know how these things work. Yeah, no. No, um, I know what your talent is. I know you're an improv actor. I know that what I think of as producers are someone who are very detail-oriented and they say, okay, let's get all these things on paper. And you're going to say, no, don't worry, we'll be in the moment and it'll work out. And then eventually they get comfortable. I'm, I'm going to bet by episode six or seven, it's more of you doing the narration right there at the scene. But how did you even know that it was episode six? Because <laughs> that's exactly where it happened. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, I mean, six through 18, I really feel like we came alive and hit a rhythm and kind of found the right note. Yeah, I mean, in these moments, and I, I, again, this was an unintended, unintended consequence of what we're doing here. When you're standing on the launch pad where, where the Apollo astronauts died, and the platform, the launch pad's still there, and we start talking about the history, something occurs. The people begin to open up to, a window opens to the, the historical event, and that I'm not a superstitious person. I don't believe in ghosts, but I do feel the weight of history suddenly becomes very palpable. There's something that occurs that's metaphysical and it's kind of, it is purely historical, but people open up and begin to feel um, that, oh, it's not just a story in a book. It's not just a news story on television. Um, someone did something great here. Someone died here. Someone struggled here. There's a story here that feels real all of a sudden. And in that way, it's as close to time travel as, as we get. A person who moves to Key West is like the kind of person who goes to Burning Man or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like yeah, a hippie kind of drop out. Uh, every maybe Jimmy Buffett, head. Every yeah, Jimmy yeah, Buffett exactly. lyric applies. Yes, I mean, yes. it, you know, it's like, it's all about getting drunk, bottom Guns, line. no way. Yeah, yeah. Hawk yeah. missiles, yeah. whoa. whoa. <laughs> Cheeseburger, maybe not so much in paradise. <laughs> Okay, what's a place you've been to that everyone knows is a historic site where you found something that the regular person might not know? And what's a place you could point to that maybe no one knew was a historic site and you're saying actually history happened here? We went to the Grand Canyon and everybody's been to the Grand Canyon or at some point we'll go to the Grand Canyon. And uh, and maybe some people know this, but there are all these structures and ranches and things built in the Grand Canyon. And I did not know that they were designed and built by a woman. And her name is Mary Coulter. And Mary Coulter is this unheralded 
genius architect who gets no credit for having been such an innovator. She designed the train station in Los Angeles. She designed the train station in uh, Kansas City. She is a perfect example of, of, of a woman who was an innovator who got very little credit at the time, but a brash, chain-smoking, uh, very dictatorial perfectionist. And in the Grand Canyon, her work is everywhere in Places as simple as uh, where you can get a hot dog, and then she built some of the ranches that are on the canyon floor. It was a whole new part of history that I did not know about, and so we feature that. All right, I want to ask you one question. I think one question about The Daily Show. You were there, what, 96 to 99? Yeah, in the beginning. Okay. Talk did, about time travel. Did now. you span the Stewart era? Were you there with Stewart at all? Or were you, you know all what? Killboard? I shook John's hand on my last day and on his first day, and he said to me, um, you should come back sometime. <laughs> <laughs> did he mean it? <laughs> Which was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. Me here to stamp it with my own stuff. So here's my question. So Stewart, obviously, that was a gr- People might not, I don't know, maybe they're young, but people not, might not remember it was a great show it was a different show Craig Kilborn his joke was that he was the blow-dried anchorman and he was playing a joke on himself maybe a lifelong joke some might argue with <laughs> Craig Kilborn but the show was reinvented right and it became what it is now now with a new host do you think it can be reinvented again you know it's a really good question I would have to say I would if I had to bet I'd say yes I think Something in television that seems to be a constant is that when shows transcend and become institutions, they are often bigger than the person at the desk. Would Jimmy Fallon be a great Tonight Show host? I, I, at the begin, I don't know. At the time, I was like, but his ratings are great, and he's number one in late night. Um, can The Daily Show transcend? Can it reinvent itself? Um, I think yes. However, with this caveat, I think these shows... They're a bit like running a candidate. You have to court the base. Um, You have to figure out how to appeal to new demos. You have to build a coalition. Um, They're very, very similar tracks. And you have to vet the candidate, too. (laughs) (laughs) And that maybe didn't happen this time. And you have to vet the candidate. (laughs) Um, That is true. (laughs) And when there's a hang-up along the way, you get what you get. And so you get a rocky rollout of a candidate. And does the candidate survive? Does the show survive? Um, does the party is the party successful? Um, you know, that's a tough one. I will say this with the Daily Show that the audience and its constituents are very faithful, um, are very sensitive, are very politically correct. That will also hurt the chances of the new guy in the sense that um, he now has to win those guys over. Uh, and those women over. Yeah, that constituency is very protective of The Daily Show. Did I ever plan on the show being like that? Um, did it have, would it have those devotees that were so committed? I got some wind of that when I left. I, got, I knew that the media was so in our corner for saying the things they wanted to say that I thought, wow, we're really building something here that will last. Yeah. And I think that the political correctness that you talked about made people applaud the choice. If they knew about Trevor Noah's comedy before and they know that he's a charismatic guy and some of his routines are great, they applauded the choice. Hey, it's the first time it's not a white man. I mean, Larry Wilmore, but this is pretty significant. And then the content of his jokes, people maybe forget, hey, this is what comedians do. They push the envelope. There's the political correctness rearing its head in the other direction. Exactly. And it also goes to the heart of why we ridiculed media in the first place, which is they are impetuous. 
Congress, they never take their time to analyze anything. They have to get to the air first with their opinions. This guy was being heralded within six hours of the announcement on and and all on public radio in Los Angeles where I listen in the car. It was as if this was the boldest, bravest decision that had ever been made. This was, uh, and then the, when I woke up in the morning the next following day, it had totally turned. I think patience is is really a virtue that that still eludes media. Um, they they are, and then. The other thing that eludes media, too, is just they have a short memory, so maybe they'll just forget. Yeah. They'll just forget the thing yeah. ever happened. Well, it helps. It helps that he'll be able to actually, like, make a joke on The Daily Show and be judged by that rather than everything he's done beforehand. That yeah. will help. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. is. But, you know, again, I, I've said this before that, that The Daily Show and all of these shows, it's like the Catholic Church, whoever's pope will probably be, be successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Know? That's right. I guess now we have two popes emeritus. Hmm. <laughs> Brian Unger is the host of Time Traveling with Brian Unger. I mean, who else could host Time Traveling with Brian Unger and do it so well? Uh, Debuts Monday, every Monday at 10 Eastern, and episodes will be online, too. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, uh, make sure you watch us on the Travel Channel. Travel Channel. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the great courses, fascinating video and audio lectures taught by top professors and experts, and I've been enjoying the lecture series, The Skeptic's Guide to American History. It is presented by award-winning professor Mark Stoller. The series filters through the myths and misconceptions about America's past to offer new perspectives on pivotal events. The Great Courses is celebrating their 25th anniversary. They have over 500 series on topics like history, science, photography, and more. Watch and listen with online downloads and streaming via The Great Courses apps or on DVD or CDs. For a limited time, The Great Courses has a special offer for just listeners. Like, do you want to know why Herbert Hoover maybe wasn't totally to blame for the Great Depression? Eh, Yeah, who doesn't want to exonerate Hoover just a little bit? Well, here's what you do. You order from eight of their best-selling series, including The Skeptic's Guide to American History, up to 80% off the original price. It's for a limited time only, so hurry. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash gist. That's thegreatcourses.com slash gist. And now the spiel, Putin call-in. Last night was the annual Vladimir Putin call-in show on Russian television for four hours. The Russian strongman, and I speak only of his butt muscles, four hours, 74 questions, he fielded calls. He defended, sorry, Vlad does not defend. He explained that supplying S-300 surface-to-air missiles to Iran was okay because the U.S. sends more weapons to the Middle East. Took a call from a lady who begged Putin to tell her husband to get a dog. Took a call from a little kid who asked about his sleep habits. Putin says, it's good that you like to sleep a lot. You'd make a good president. Putin also said the ruble was rebounding nicely. Well, let's put it this way. A year ago, a ruble was worth about three cents. Now it's worth about two cents. In between, it was worth about one and a quarter cents. So it depends where your starting point was. Of course, Putin doesn't deal in cents. He deals in strength and consistency. And this snappy intro. Here at The Gist, we have a special translation. We are not going to rely on the official Russian translation. We have a special translation of select highlights of Vladimir Putin takes the calls of Russians. Here now, that's special. 
Hello, hello, it's Vladimir Putin. We're taking your calls on the Blini Hot Fresh Take Hotline. We have Yuri. Go ahead, Yuri. Yeah, hi, President Putin. First time, long-time patriot. I think you should trade Crimea for Moldova and you know, maybe a sign and trade with Vladivostok. That, that, that contract's like an albatross. Let's get some new blood in the system. I'll take my answer off the air. In fact, uh, out of the country in case I've angered you. Okay, and thanks for the call, Yuri. You know, we're not going to do that. Vladi Vladstock, it's a veteran city. It's near the head of the Golden Horn Bay, home to the Russian Pacific Fleet. Quite frankly, the contract, not that easy to unload, and Crimea's lottery protected. So I do not think that will work out. Okay, next call, Olga. Uh, yes, hi, Vladimir Putin. It's a pleasure. Pleasure, a real pleasure. I just wanted to know if you're ever going to legalize ferrets. Ferrets? Yes, they're also known as Siberian polecats, so I thought that might influence your decision. They're a kind and loving animal. Kind and loving? No, this is not the proper Russian animal. Okay, then they're a toothy and vicious animal, but they are, like I said, Siberian polecats. I'll take my answer in a fortified bunker. Okay, this conversation is over. Olga, you need help. You need somebody to help you. Quite frankly, this obsession you have with these weasels, it is a sickness. There are a few people who would be so honest with you, Olga. I really think you should see someone about this. I don't want to come off like a dictator, a Giuliani-type dictator, but I am going to say you should get some help. Something has gone wrong with you, and it's a sign of something wrong in your personality. You have a sickness, Olga. Okay, next call. Wait. Oh, no. It's 14 past the hour. Let's see. Here we go. All right. Here we go. We're backed up on the M5 from Moscow to Chablinks. We're bumper to bumper on the garden ring, stop and go on the boulevard ring, jammed up on the third ring row. We're at a crawl on the P216 to Stavropol. There's apparently an oligarch blocking the approach lane on the A104 all the way to Dubna. We've got a Sergei alert on the M6. Okay, time for one more call. Uh, four more hours. Let's sneak one in. We're up against the break, and I must break you. <laughs> okay, you're on the air. Zlata, go ahead. Vladimir Yes, President Putin. I just wanted to say you are a great and powerful leader for the glory of all Russia. Thank you, Zlata. You take us to the glory days of our past and deliver goods and services to all the Russian people. And I just want to know if you would ever consider a pardon for Howard Stern's penis. What? Howard Stern's penis. I think Pussy Riot and Baba Booey and Howard Stern's penis should be annexed. All right, all right, get her off the phone. We have three million calls on the line and this joker gets through... You know what? Let this be rebuttal to my critics who say I control all media and police and infrastructure and resources and means of dissent. If this call can get through, can I really be most powerful man in the world? Okay, next up we wake up Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov with a phony phone call and we ask the two millionth caller if they know the phrase that pays. Here's a hint. It's cronyism. Okay, keep it right there. You'll be Vlad you did.
And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi once stayed on hold for four hours to ask Stephen Harper if he was really Prime Minister of Canada. Joel Meyer is embarrassed that Kim Jong-un attempted a Reddit Ask Me Anything in an attempt to gather info on anyone who would ask him anything. Andy Bowers is considering leaving his post as executive producer here to executive produce a version of Undercover Boss starring African strongmen. Robert Mugabe as a humble fruit merchant. It's humanizing. Guests of the gist stay at the Balakovo Ramada, just 81 miles from the administrative center of Saratov Oblast. Yeah, we do not know why anyone would stay there either. The gist, where the accent is always on hilarity and rarely on accurate accents. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Adam Davidson, host of Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. On our latest episode, I talk with a jazz singer from New Orleans who talks about the economics of street performing, of performing recognizable jazz standards, and the really tough economics of trying to make a living playing your own music. Subscribe to the Working Podcast on iTunes or find us on slate.com slash working.